and welcome to Romaniacs. I'm Roz Taylor and I frankly got no idea whether Labour is backing a second referendum, but enough of that for now. This week we have an all-women Romaniacs and, as Ian Dunt was WhatsApping me last night, it's well past time. With me in the studio is one of our regulars, actor, writer and Romaniac, Ingrid Oliver. Ingrid, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, this is going to be like the first five minutes of Bodyguard. It's just too many bloody women. <laughs> You had a go at uh, you had a go at engaging with the Brexit secretary Dominic Raab on Twitter this week. Did that work? Um, yeah, it, it, this is a tricky one because basically I, I tweeted at Dominic Raab because it's sort of I follow a couple of people on on Twitter. Uh, one of them is Our Future, um, Our Choice, and and for Future's Sake, which are both youth groups who sort of are. are um, are trying to fight Brexit, I suppose, or ask for a second referendum, and uh, Dominic Raab had blocked them. And now I don't. It, you have to be careful how much you believe in in Twitter and and how much people are actually on Twitter, especially MPs. And Dominic Raab may well not be on Twitter, but the fact is that either he or somebody who works for him decided to block um, these two groups, which is incredibly. Worrying, I think, and especially when you look at uh, the people who he does follow on his Twitter feed. And I've got actually a list of people. I've come prepared. Um, it, you know, people like you know the, the arch Brexiteers. It's David Davis and Andrew Leadsom, Priti Patel, Rhys Morgan Johnson. Those are the majority of the voices that he listens to on Twitter in inverted commas. So it's not, it's not that I'm saying that that's the only people he's listening to, but it does worry me. And no, he didn't respond. So he needs to get out of his filter bubble, doesn't he? Basically. I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And our special guest this week is Rupa Hook, MP for Ealing Central and Acton. A very warm welcome to Romaniacs. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure. You've been in Liverpool at the Labour conference this week. Uh, you squeezed in talks about air pollution, Europe, hacking, the Rohingya crisis, universities. Quite a lot, really. What, what was the highlight? Um, yeah, no, I did a good breakfast meeting because I think in, in, it's concertina time in those conferences kind of thing, like you squish in a lot sort of thing. Mm. Um, and it was with uh, FEPS, they're called Fédération Européenne, uh, can't remember the rest of it. But um, they're the sort of European version of the Fabian Society, those sort of intellectual think tanky people. Mm. And there were other MEPs on the panel uh, yeah, I was the Westminster. I was the voice of Westminster. There were a couple of MEPs um, and some sort of professory people. In fact, um, yeah, and that was sort of quite interesting. Bloody experts, eh? Uh, had enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what else was a highlight? Actually, I had a selfie with Hugh Grant. Is that really tragic to say that was a? Oh no, that's definitely. I said you were great in Paddington. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. He's he's been great basically recently, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah. So, Fantastic. Uh, we're going to be doing our best to tease out Labour's stance on a second referendum. We'll also be taking apart the Brexiteers' latest trade wheeze. Jacob Rees-Mogg called it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, that's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. He actually called it that. Need I say more? And an EU commissioner has had a go at the British press, taking exception to the Sun's dirty rats headline last week. Personally, I've always thought of Michel Barnier as a very, very canny fox rather than a rat. Rupa, how would you how would you describe Donald Tusk? Um, yeah, he's got a bit of a sense of humour, hasn't he? That he has. uh, cake and cherries uh, Instagram thing, and he's with down with the kids if he's on Instagram because I sure am not. <laughs> um, but um, and there was a picture of him eating an ice cream. Did you see that one? Yeah, he looked really sad. Ferocious. Yeah, really. Yeah. Was that his yeah. favourite flavour? <laughs> run out or something? He has a strange he was expression. Fuming yeah. with the cone. Yeah. All that and more after these quick reminders from Ingrid. 
We've got more Romaniacs live news, and this time it's not in London. Hooray! We're taking the live show to the Stroud Book Festival on Wednesday, the 7th of November. Uh, Stroud voted 55% remain in the referendum, so we think we'll be among friends. That could have gone up, obviously, in the meantime. Uh, Ian and Roz, plus regulars Dory Linsky and Alex Andreo, will be live and querulous at the Lansdowne Hall Stroud from 7pm with the usual high-quality Brexit talk, low-quality Brexit jokes and audience questions. So come and see us in the birthplace of the great novelist Laurie Lee for some cider with Romaniacs on Wednesday the 7th of November. Uh, tickets are available from the stroudbookfestival.org.uk and they're going fast. And don't forget, if you want to get every episode of Romaniacs a day early, then why not support us on patreon.com? And if you back us on this splendid crowdfunding platform, you get each show as soon as it's ready, plus exciting merchandise. I think there's a mug and a T-shirt uh, and a bag. An exclusive weekly column from the panel and early bird access to our live shows. Search Patreon Romaniacs to find out more. I'm very excited about Stroud because people have been tweeting me saying, you're going to love Stroud so much. You're going to want to stay forever, which is, yeah, it's very, very good. <laughs> Now, about this second referendum everyone's been talking about, Keir Starmer, the shadow Brexit secretary, got a standing ovation at the Labour Party conference on Tuesday after he said nobody is ruling out Remain as an option. Can we have a cheer there? Just, you know. Hey, that came as a bit of a surprise after Shadow Chancellor John MacDonald seemed to explicitly rule out Remain as an option. He said if there was a special uh, second referendum, it should be a choice between no deal and whatever deal Theresa May manages to secure, which is arguably no choice at all. And Emily Thornbury, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, sidestepped the referendum issue altogether by saying Labour would ask for an Article 50 extension and negotiate a better deal, assuming, of course, they're in power. Then, if you're still with us. Rebecca Long-Bailey said if there's a general election, a second referendum won't be in the manifesto, which seems like a slapdown for Starmer. Rupert, what, what was the mood in Liverpool this week? Do you think things are turning in the right direction? I do, and I think things are turning in the country as well, actually. There was a very big poll, uh, first week of August, by Best for Britain, with a 10,000 sample sites. I mean, I don't usually believe polls, and if I did, the last two would have predicted my demise sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as a social scientist, usually these things, I think they ask about 1,000 people, but this was... 10k so big sample size and I think they went for all the 650 parliamentary constituencies in the country and they reckon that 100 people would shift Um, I mean within the Labour Party itself uh, I think we emerged from this conference very united Uh, there was a vote yesterday night it was unanimous Um, so I mean yeah there was a bit of shilly shallying in the run up to it at twists and turns and that kind of thing but I think um and even the Corbyn conference speech today was very strong. So, um, I mean, I found I represent a very remain seat. It's over 70 percent, uh, 70 point something. My rounding process makes that sort of 71 or two. Uh, but I mean, even people who voted leave there in the summer have been saying, cool, we didn't know all this before, did we? Um, you know, even when you go and change your holiday money, that kind of thing. And then all these warnings from Jaguar, Land Rover, Panasonic, all these companies that are moving jobs and um, sort of warning about the supply chain. You know, things like something like the aviation sector. If you get on a plane on the 30th of March, there's no guarantee who is going to regulate the airspace or even if that plane takes off as it stands at the moment. If we have no deal... 
that remains because no deal has no regulation or anything, no transition period. So, I mean, all this stuff is coming out now. Other com- companies that are moving their European HQs, Panasonic, from this country, uh, there are EU agencies, the medicines agency, the banking agency that are going. Um, and, you know, people were promised sunlit uplands, all these uh, delightful scenarios. And now we're hearing that, you know, we may have troops on the streets distributing medicines and food, which by then I don't know what it's going to be, potatoes or something, because we're not going to get food from abroad, which we've never had anyway. Even part of the war strategy was to bomb ships coming in, bringing um, produce. So, I mean, I think in order to make any decision, you should be armed with the full facts and in 2016 we weren't I mean nobody no. knew nobody was ever talking about what a customs union was the Irish border question didn't arise at all we were promised this would be very easy um, it'd be a dollar a cinch a piece of cake easiest trade deals in history we have got not a single trade deal and I think there's 170 something days to go the clock is ticking there's nothing there I think it's quite sensible to say pause and reflect do you want whatever deal comes out of it or do you want to remain? Because we know what that looks like. Yeah. Ingrid, is, is Keir Starmer just standing up for the membership? Because 86% of them, I think, back a rec- referendum. But he, he seems a, a lone voice in the party at the moment. Well, this is interesting because he he is the only person that's at, that's, that is specifically saying Remain will stay on the ballot and seems to be endorsing it um, rather than sort of the fudging that we're seeing from other people in the Labour Party. On the front bench. On course. the front bench, yeah. yeah. So yeah. who's sort of saying, well, we're not going to rule anything out. Um, and, and you know, because Jeremy, Cor- Jeremy Corbyn has said, they've all, everyone said that they want Labour to be a more democratic party from ground up and they'll listen to the, to, the, to the party. And the party, I mean, the members are overwhelmingly coming out in support of a second referendum um, with Remain on, on the ballot. And... Um, Keir Starmer is the only person, as I could tell from the conference, from watching the main speeches of the front benches, that is actively saying that. And it, and it, it strikes me, it worries me, because John McDonnell said something in his speech, and it, it struck me suddenly, as like, if if there was a second referendum, I'm not 100% convinced that Labour would put Remain on the ballot, because John McDonnell said, the greater the mess we inherit from the Tory Brexit, the more radical we have to be the greater the need for change, the greater the opportunity we have to create that change. So to my mind, it actually serves the current Labour leadership if there's a, an absolute mess and a fallout from a, hard, from a hard Brexit. And that could be me being very cynical. And I think part of the reason where Theresa May went wrong is she's got so many of these red lines and things that she's excluded and that's why she's in a pickle and her checkers deal is unacceptable to the EU because she said she doesn't want a customs union, doesn't want the single market, whereas we're saying we want a customs union, if not the customs union, and we want to be closely aligned. And I think our position has got better. I mean, I actually found myself bizarrely at the Lib Dem conference as well this year, slightly by accident, because I was asked to do a women for remain, uh, women for a second vote, what was it? I don't know, something women against Brexit meeting in Brighton. And at the time, I thought, I don't have any canvassing that day, it might be a nice day out to the seaside. So I agreed to do it. And then in the week, in the run up to it, a Lib Dem MP said, you do realise you're coming to our conference, don't you? And at the time I hadn't sort of put two and two together. However, I mean, there they were just all slagging us off. But we campaigned for Remain in the first place. We then sort of, we then said there should be a transition period. Lots of stuff that we've, you know, that's now commonly accepted. I think we are shifting, but, you know, maybe some people impatient, not far, far enough and not fast enough. The thing is, we're not in charge 
they are. And I think there is a tendency, some of my colleagues who were there between 92 and 97 say that it's reminiscent of that when they just sort of kept screwing up and were self-inflicting all these wounds on themselves and then in the end in 97 it became inevitable. So I think maybe there is half a tendency to just let them sort of screw Mm. up. But at the same time, I think it's wise not to rule out stuff because that's where she went wrong. Do you know what I mean? Of course. If you start being too prescriptive too early on. No, and I totally, and I understand because actually I was thinking about this. If if Jeremy Corbyn wasn't uh, the leader of the opposition, if we had somebody who was more uh, openly remained, say someone like Ed Miliband, for example, um, would he have played any differently? And actually, because people have been frustrated with the Labour's reaction, Labour's or lack of reaction to what's been going with Brexit. And I don't think actually it was a bad play. And I don't think even if someone else was in power, they would have necessarily done anything that different. However, the, the difference being that I don't, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I don't see a, a, a Labour leader who is who wants to stay in the European Union. The thing is, the difficulty is that we... And, yeah, our party voted to uh, to trigger Article 50, although I didn't and some other rebellious people didn't. However, we represent the 25 most remain seats in the country. And Ealing Central and Acton at 71 point something percent is not even one of those. There's other even more... Uh, Romaniac places than that. But we also represent the 25 most leave seats. And apparently, if you go up north, you know, people there are saying, why hasn't it happened yet? Why have we not left? So I think sort of... I don't know, the analogy I would like to see is um, the poll tax, because in the end, the mood from the country was so against that that she had to drop that, and that was the end of Thatcher sort of thing. So at what point... So we're seeing public opinion is shifting, and even within the Labour Party, people like... Uh, Sadiq Khan was saying let's honour the result but then sort of that's before we know, knew all that we know now and it's a different proposal actually I asked the PMQ to Theresa May uh, two weeks ago and it was um, yeah she didn't like it at it's all. a great question and people kept yeah. it. even John McDonnell was high-fiving me after lots of people liked it it was um, the Prime Minister and I both have seats near Heathrow and we both campaigned for years against its damaging effects on the lungs of our constituents. But then when the vote came for the third runway, she shifted. Yeah. If I can understand her change of heart, because new facts are, um, came to light and it was a different proposal to what was on the table last time, mm-hmm. can't she just give us all a <laughs> final yeah, say a on the final question? Thing, it was sort of thing. And, you know, her... She was preparing for her Heathrow answer and then suddenly it was a switcheroo. (laughs) And so by that same logic, democracy shouldn't be a fixed point uh, frozen in time. And I think Keir Starmer has played a blinder, actually, because we've got to take all these people with us. I mean, the Tories seem to be their idea that everyone's a saboteur or, you know, somehow unpatriotic if they dare to question their strategy at all. Therefore, the 52%, the Lib Dems have very much aligned their colours to the mast of the 48%, but we've got to be for the 100%. And when that mood comes from the country, I think that's sort of more important than really what our leadership is saying, because we're not driving these negotiations. So I can kind of see why they've done it. And already, you know, our position is softening and changing as as we know more about this every day. And, I mean, ideally, you know, I think our leadership position is we want a general election, um, and if we did that, I'd love to have in the manifesto to trigger Article 49, which is to take us back in on the same terms once the negotiations have started. I mean, I think as well the idea to have more time to negotiate, which would need agreement of all the EU 27 there'd be by then. But I think they 
they've said they're not going to do that unless there's some sign of some breakthrough. Because at the moment, there's nothing. There's zero trade deals. There's nothing. You know, no. what have we had? 27 months of David Davis going to meetings in Brussels. No, no there, there, there can't be. You know, they're not allowed to even start negotiating them yet, are they? I think. I think to return to your to your point, Ingrid, about Ed Miliband. I think he would have reluctantly backed a Norway-style deal with um, customs union membership and single market membership. And I think that would have... I think actually that would have taken a lot of the heat out of the anti-Brexit movement in a way because people would have kind of coalesced and said, oh, all right, all right, OK. Yeah. And it's the fact that it's gone down such an extreme path, yes, the hardest, right. hardest possible Brexit, <laughs> pretty much, that um, has led to... Well, it led to Romaniacs itself, but has, has led to this feeling of terrible intransigence. Well, I feel like... And we're at a unique time politically in the sense that we've got Theresa May and her, and her cabinet and we've got... Labour led by, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, who's probably one of the most left-wing leaders we've had of of Labour for a while, um, at this unique point in time where we're about to leave the European Union. uh, And, you know, there are advantages on on the left and right to have a... You know, there are are people pushing for a hard Brexit on the left and the right. Um, And so I think as somebody who's an observer and a bystander, you know, uh, it's sort of... It's terrifying only because... you You know, Keir Starmer saying the word remain... Literally just that. And he wasn't even saying we want to remain or that we're definitely going to have Remain as an option. Mm. He just said we're not ruling out Remain as an option. And the fact that that got a standing ovation, it says to me, it sort of conveyed the relief that, that people get, oh, my God, somebody has, meant, has dared to say the word, yeah. that that might still be an option. Um, and it's become so yeah polarised on the left and right that you just you just want the, 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 the voices of sanity, sort of, basically. Yeah, yeah. Another week, another Brexit trade plan. This time it was the turn of the Institute for Economic Affairs, which has come up with a report called Plan A+. The big claim was that deregulation, in other words, abandoning EU regulations and standards and getting rid of tariffs and quotas, could boost GDP by up to 7.25% compared to where it would otherwise have been. That's a remarkable claim, and it was torpedoed by Christopher Cook of the BBC, who said it was based on dodgy maths. I recommend you read his takedown because it's strong stuff. He says, for example, the issue here is that when I run this model, it gives bananas results. When he runs it, it gives clear and elegant results, which are all of the right scale. This is curious. Ingrid, I remember hearing John Redwood complaining about EU bureaucracy and a bonfire of the red tape 15 years ago. It's obsessed them for years and it was a mainstay of Boris Johnson's anti-EU reporting when he was in Brussels. Do you think the ordinary person is bothered by EU bureaucracy? Would they, would they be if they weren't told to be by an anti-EU press? I mean, I mean, that's been my sort of, my argument from the very beginning, which is that the idea that EU bureaucracy is in anyone's mind in their day-to-day lives is is so ludicrous. But we were told that this was the, the you know the main problem with the EU, and that um, and and suddenly it became people's main problem. Funnily enough, and basically, if we leave, um, we're going to have sort of two sets of tariffs that we need to introduce: UK tar- uh, EU tariffs, and then UK tariffs. And so there's going to be. 
twice the amount of red tape. And uh, there was some, some I think one of the uh, car manufacturers, I think it was Rover or Jaguar, saying they, just for them alone, there'll be something like 60,000 pieces of new paper. But it'll be our have to red fill tape. Out. It won't be their red tape. It, we'll be making it up ourselves. No, exactly. <laughs> We're taking, taking red tape back. Yes. Um, British red tape. Yeah. British red, white and blue tape. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, the fact that that was always cited as a sort of really big reason to not be a part of the EU is quite hysterically funny to me now. That's going to be come back to bite us quite badly on the bum. Back to Theresa May and her embarrassment in Salzburg. The PM was clearly rattled. Uh, she said she'd always treated the EU with respect and wanted the same back. There was a lot of sympathy for her from some of the papers and The Sun ran a front page calling EU leaders dirty rats. Vera Jourova, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, the EU Justice Commissioner, said headlines were like that were sowing hate and division. She said she wanted a European approach to media based on quality and smart regulation, if needed. Ingrid, this is a tough one for me anyway, because the Sun's headline was obnoxious, but is it really the EU's job to get involved in regulating the press? Um, how could it, you know, sensibly do that anyway? It's funny because that was in retaliation, I think. Was it in retaliation to um, Tusk doing that Instagram of... Um... Sounds reminiscent of Up Yules Delors. I think we've had a famously yeah. anti-EU press for a long time and, uh, yeah, sort of, well, very right-wing press. It's, uh, yeah, I think Kinnock once said, actually it was about the Evening Standard, it gets the one-legged chicken award for balance. I think the whole <laughs> of our newspapers are like that as well. And, you know, people like Murdoch, who has all these titles up his sleeve the times the sun it's all the same uh, organ grinder behind them all and it's and it's, it's sort of it's it's that slightly british seaside humor where it's like oh the germans are nazis you know that kind of thing that always we always go back to yeah. when we're sort of stereotyping uh, nationalities and and um I think, I mean, everyone does it, to be honest, the Germans, we all do it, we all do it. It's, it's humour, it's the low common, lowest common denominator, but, but you can't regulate against it, I don't think. But Rupert, is our tabloid culture uniquely horrible um, in yeah, Britain? Yeah, I mean, page three as well is pretty degrading. There used to be a campaign in the 80s, I think that's gone away. But, I mean, when you have neutral adverts, sometimes what the public takes away from it... I remember, actually, probably the year I was doing A-level politics, 1989, there was a European election... And it was the first time that the Labour Party won a national contest. So it looked plausible that we might one day win a real election. And the posters that the Tory party put out said, don't let Kinnock in by the back door. And um, the polling found after that quite a lot of people quite liked the idea of Kinnock in by the back door, because that was during the harsh ravages of Thatcherism, when bad stuff was happening in this country. So that is what helped the Labour Party win a majority of seats in that European election. And it's sad that um, our MEPs who've worked hard for us all these years, are, they're losing their jobs, basically, in March. Um, but, I mean, um, yeah, I just... I grew up at a time when sort of anything good that ever happened in this country seemed to come by the back door from Europe. And even when I first started going to Labour Party conferences, when Tony Blair was Prime Minister, they have this sort of curtain... Uh, before the anticlimax of the leader actually being, you know, he walks on the stage and they would project all these sort of achievements of Blairism, maternity rights, paternity rights, cleaner beaches. And I thought, hang on, all these things came from the EU and he's passing them off as his own. So really? kind of the question of regulation, it's a worry that the people in charge now, people like Michael Gove are saying we could actually, you know, there's a worry here, even who's going to regulate all this stuff because we're leaving the court system as well. And you do think what kind of tin pot 
not dictatorship, marks its own homework and is judge and jury of its own stuff kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, no, it's a worry. Gove and people like that are saying that we can exceed all these standards. We can better them. But, I mean, um, given the way they've tried to wriggle out of things like pregnancy discrimination directives before Conservative governments, even, again, probably when I was doing A-level politics, Thatcher wanted to get out of the social chapter. Um, I just don't have any faith in any of these people yeah, at all. I mean, they fact, want to deregulate because they're all employers, you know, the resmogs, all these sort of people. And the, the, uh, the very fact that that report's come from the, the ERG of commission report from the IEA... And the IEA, as we, you know... Um, mm, they're not unbiased. It's a right wing. Um, and, I mean, some of the stuff that comes out of there is, is extraordinary. They believe in the power of, and the power of, of money in the econo- and, and, and a free market economy, and that is it. And whatever it takes to achieve it, yeah. that's, they, it's all fair game. One of the big criticisms is that it believes that throwing people out of work will lead to an economic revival. Um, and uh, that is very, very disputable. To put it slightly, to put it mildly, and that's what I mean about the extremes of the, you know, on the on the on on the right, we have the resmogs who want to, who in some ways it doesn't matter to them if the economy is totally fucked, no. uh, frankly, because that, that's all all the better for deregulating everything, starting from scratch, because at the moment we've got too many bloody pesky regulations that stop them from doing exactly what they want. Ingrid, you, you've started swearing. We're missing. I you know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's getting all sweary again. Ten in the swear box. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just yes. I wanted to, Ian to be here. No, no, we're, we're missing. The him, spirit we? of Ian threw me. That's yes. weird. Yes, maybe I, I'll, I'll try and restrain myself, but it's, mm-hmm. it's tempting. Um, for a Brexit media watcher like me, it's been fascinating to see the daily. Mail gets slightly less horrible and substantially less Brexity over the past few weeks since the new editor took over, Geordie Grieg from Nigel Dacre. Ingrid, have you noticed this switch, or oh, do you not read the Daily Mail? No, I've heard, I've heard, but I don't read it, so I, I wouldn't know. I only read, read it if I'm on a plane. <laughs> they seem oh, to always yeah, give it yeah. free on a plane. Well, I, so if I'm reading a hard copy, therefore I'm sitting on a plane. But well, I always I've look at the front pages, it. and it's just like they're not quite as nasty to women, first of all, which is nice. Good for them. Yeah, um, they're, they're they're just slightly bitchy as opposed to very bitchy, and and. Um, it's just not as pro Brexit, so I'm I'm quite cheerful about that. Is it, when you say it's not as pro Brexit, is it is it is it more is it getting more pro second referendum, or is it is it sort of just slightly no. less? I wouldn't say it was pro second referendum, but it was. It's definitely less um, up yours and less cheerleading for Brexit. Right. I think it's softening people up. Okay. Um, I think it basically wants a single market deal. That's my that's my guess. I'm right. Like, and I'm really quite excited about that because I don't underestimate the power of the Daily Mail. No, you should. One shouldn't. We're delighted to have Rupa Hook on the show this week. Rupa, you've described yourself as a resolute Remainer. Uh, even Vince Cable said that if he lived in Ealing Central Act and he'd vote for you rather than the Lib Dems. You've talked a bit about your constituency and how Remain it is. I think it's uh, my constituency, Hornsey and Wood Green, is uh, the most Remainy one in the country, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty anti Brexit. When you're out and about in the constituency, what's your feeling as to how things have changed? You mentioned earlier that you're beginning to get a bit more scepticism from Leave voters. Yeah, I mean, businesses as well, they're noticing that uh, initially with the falling pound, they were getting more orders from Europe. But then now when they want to restock or get supplies again, everything's gone up. Uh, and the EU staff are leaving as well. So a lot of them have a very international workforce and they're worried. We know that in the NHS, uh, nurses are leaving in droves. 
I mean, there's even stuff that says that um, the care sector... So, I mean, I've had uh, two parents uh, since 2014 who've both deceased and uh, they both had carers and stuff at the end. And that's an unpleasant job, changing people's incontinence pads and things like that. Sort of British-born don't want to do that job. So it's a lot of EU nationals who perform those kind of services and that sector is hollowing out. And there are reports saying that if, I don't know, someone of my age with kids at one end, and I mean, my parents have both passed on, but with ageing parents and kids, the sandwich generation, it's women who end up doing those things informally when there are... So, you know, if this carries on, there'll be gaps in the labour market kind of thing. So all that stuff I see when I'm out and about. Can I, sorry, just uh, to come in on that, I, I find that so interesting that you say that it's EU nationals who do those jobs that British-born people don't want to do. And I... As someone who I, I, I have a German father and I grew up in Germany quite a lot, and what I see over there and the difference between what I feel, and this is all anecdotal, of course, but the difference I see between people on, in, in Germany and people here is that there is a very strong work ethic in terms of, um, from a very early age, they, people are encouraged to, if they're not academic, that there are other jobs that they can, that, that it's not all about being academic or being rich, that there are, there are good jobs with a good, uh, in, a, in a strong economy. That, that need people to be trained to do or, you know, there's, there's no shame in doing a job like changing someone's incontinence pad, that it's a vital service. And for whatever reason, we don't seem to have that same ethos here. And again, I, I do wonder if it boils down to that. You know, the constant comparisons, we, you know, Britain was great and we'll be great again if we leave. And we just, it's it, that constant obsession with uh, sort of, uh, you know, our dignity and two we're the best and so two worlds exactly yeah. whereas Germany obviously for example you know they they lost two world wars and so they have to dig down and they have to just get on with it and they and, and they can't you know they can't go oh we were great and we went in, look at us they, they have to sort of focus on the here and now which is is manufacture and and not this sort of weird idea of and I always say that because, you know, X Factor, when X Factor became very popular in the UK, that the idea that you can get something for nothing, you can be famous um, with very little effort. And that just doesn't seem to be as much of a concept in places like Germany. It's not as att attractive a thing. So, I mean, I'm not to do, do, do us people, people of Britain down because that's not always the case. But it is interesting that you say that that there's a sort of a dearth of people wanting to do those jobs. I mean, there are certain other ones, things like fruit picking. Apparently there's loads of rotten fruit in Kent and elsewhere because there used to be uh, sort of temporary visa schemes where people could come in and out for doing those sort of things and then EU, Eastern European people would come for a summer and pick fruit uh, but now they're not coming anymore so Yeah and we know actually from the um, fact the cabinet has basically approved what the Migration Advisory Committee suggested last week which was that um, new migrants to the UK when you're giving out visas and so on, that EU migrants should not have priority and that basically that only skilled people should have priority. And that, as you say, Rupert, that, that really is going to be a killer for these for these sectors. Um, I think they want to make a special exemption for agriculture, but there are plenty of others which they're not planning to make an exemption for and they're basically saying, well, British people should be doing these jobs and we think there is a little bit of slack in the labour market. Clearly not a lot because unemployment is so low at the moment, but we think there is a little bit of slack that will enable um, people to move into these professions. But as you, as you say, Ingrid, it's going to require a mental switch mm. to for that to be an attractive career. Yes. 
And it, what, what I remember one of the things that really made me laugh at the time, I mean, it's tragic, so it's not funny, uh, when Tim Martin, you know, the Weatherspoons uh, chief, who was one of the most vocal uh, Brexiteers at the time, and he he vigorously campaigned to take us out of the EU and then and then wanted an exemption and was sort of applying for an exemption so that he could have European workers in his pubs. It's like, well, do you not understand what you were campaigning for? Because you don't get an exemption. Nobody gets an exemption. If, if, if what, you know, if Brexit means Brexit, that's it. You don't get to do that anymore. Um, and the sort of utter stupidity of that just, yeah head in hands, constantly head in hands. I mean, I raised something uh, in, I think, 2015 in the House of Commons, the curry crisis. At the time, there were two Indian restaurants a week closing their doors in the UK because of the tier two visa regime had gone very punitive. So the average salary in this country is 26,000. It used to be that you could pay a curry chef to come over. Uh, they would ha The surety you'd have to give is that they'd get 18K which is about apparently what they're paid. But suddenly it went up to 36. It sort of doubled, which is way more than the average one. And so I was asking about this to George Osborne. Remember him? You know, all these people that have buggered off our country yeah. and completely left the crime scene. <laughs> but anyway, um, and he said something about, yeah, I mean, he uh, gave a pretty non-answer. Actually, weirdly, there is a um, not the nine o'clock news sketch of Rowan Atkinson saying almost exactly what George Osborne said, which was, we all love a good curry. I think Osborne said, we all love a good curry, but surely we should train them to do it here, you know, rather than getting them from the subcontinent. And the Atkinson one is, we all love a good curry, but now we've got the recipe. Do we need any of those brown people here? Anyway, the point <laughs> is, that argument was then picked up by the Brexiteers in the run-up to 2016. And they were saying, well, when we stop EU migration, these yeah. ones from the subcontinent can come with open arms. And there was even a hashtag, Save Our Curry, that Priti Patel, who was the International Development Minister at the time, um, was putting about. And then after the result, at the time I was briefly a Shadow Home Affairs Minister under Diane Abbott, one of her team. So I asked it to Amber Rudd from the front bench, where are they? When are they coming? When do we get all these curry chefs? And I was told, no, the target was always tens of thousands. So, you know, they told Porkies, people in good faith, there are two curry trade unions, can you believe, in this country? And they bought it and they were encouraging all their members to vote leave because uh, they well, thought that their yeah. thing would be yeah. lessened. Their they burden. told lies. <laughs> Goodness they me! Broke the law. Unbelievable. I mean, this goes on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. This is, but that's that's yeah. I mean, sorry, I was just thinking about this yesterday. The lying thing. I know that on on the second referendum. I mean, you very much obviously would be you're in favour of of a second referendum and. You would vote. You would have want to have C remain on the. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. we're going to vote against the deal. So how could we have anything else? Yeah. We've said this week. Yeah. We're going to vote against her deal. It doesn't satisfy our success. So then you'd have a deal that we didn't want, or but it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but is it is a possibility? Would you think? Do you, I, I mean, don't think so. I think the wording of the thing that was agreed. I think yes, there was a bit of. I don't know, those conferences there, work hard, play hard, yeah. you're going till very late in the night. Maybe it's a lack of sleep, someone did an interview and said slightly the wrong thing. But the text of what was agreed is that nothing should be ruled out. Ruled out. Do you believe, uh, you know, uh, as someone who, sorry, I'm now, do you, as someone who, uh, you know, goes into into the House of Parliament and in Westminster every day, or every other day, I don't know how often I've just been there in. today oh, and I should be go. going very back good. after this. Very so. good. Um, you know, what is, do you, how do you feel as a, as a, a Labour Remainer? What is your 
How are the wounds? Well, just, just you know, are you frustrated that you can't talk about anything else? Are, are you frustrated with people, you know, people within your own party? I mean, it has taken up all the bandwidth. So things like we were promised a domestic violence bill. Um, you know, there's loads of other important things. I will be doing an advice surgery tomorrow. The main thing people will come in about is housing. Um, you know, six people living in two rooms, overcrowding, that kind of thing. So there's bread and butter issues that need sorting out, whereas this has just taken over everything. Nobody mentioned it at all on a doorstep in 2015, I'm, uh, although I've only been an MP three years because of that ridiculous snap election that she called to get more power and she lost her majority. I've had two of them. First one, no-one mentioned it at all. Second one, in a Remain area, uh, the literature coming through, they chose a candidate very late, said, help Theresa May... Uh, uh, sorry, elect Theresa May's candidate to get a strong hand for Brexit. In a Remain area, people aren't going to want to hear that. They felt insulted. Anyway, the mood in the House of Commons is that we want a general election. I don't think the Conservatives, with their patched-up deal with the DUP, are going to vote for that because... Turkeys do not vote for Christmas. However, there are people like Anna Subri. There are certain Tories, actually a lot of strong women, Sarah Wollaston, mm, yeah. um, who's one of these people. She was a doctor. And then when they ma made open selections, she, she wasn't a lifelong career Tory sort of thing. Um, Justine Greening, who was education secretary, people like that have said, you know, they wouldn't vote to bring down their own party, but they support a second referendum. Uh, so, I mean, I think things are shifting and changing and that would have more chance of parliamentary support than a general election although yeah I'd dearly love to see the back of them and get rid of them in an election that'd be even better but You've been very critical of Boris Johnson especially after his infamous Burka column. You, you've spoken what it's like to be called Paki actually of course your family's from Bangladesh I think um, and to get racist hate mail and do you think things have got worse since the referendum? I do, called? I think the country is divided and I think uh, certainly that weekend we saw, so it's June the 23rd, 2016, that very weekend there was a whole spike in hate crime. And it's sort of, I wouldn't say legitimised it, but it's maybe disinhibited people that maybe were thinking that and wouldn't have done anything. Because you hear all these things about insults, people get it on the bus that we voted to get rid of you lot, why are you still here? Uh, and I think there is this poisonous, toxic attitude. But at the same time, I mean, I do... Uh, I, I don't know, I mean for a long time I would do meetings in Ealing and Acton and that's nice because they're all an audience that are like you but when you do national media um, you know, there, as I said, the dispossessed people in the north I think the, those reasons of um, austerity why a lot of people wanted to give David Cameron a good kicking and even that weekend I had emails from people saying I did it, I didn't think it would win it was an anti-establishment thing uh, so... Yeah, I think things are shifting. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think even in leave seats, there are MPs that have shifted because um, now we know the enormity. This is bigger than any single piece of legislation, any budget. It touches every aspect of our lives to disentangle ourselves from 40 plus years of close cooperation, peace, harmony, and all those how things. Do you, how do you, um, how does it work, as in? When you have a stance on on Brexit and, and that you know, does it get? Do you get? Does, have you got in trouble from the leadership's office, or you, do you kind of? Do you just go? No, I'm going to do what I want to do because that hasn't been what you you've been advocating has not been the party line. Yeah, I mean, so the the big crunch points we had was the triggering of Article Fifty. So that was 
hang on, that was that first parliament, wasn't it? So that would have been sort of spring 2017. And myself and a load of other... So we were not first-rung shadow cabinet, but the lower orders uh, defied the whip. So we have a whipping system where you are elected on a party label. People expect you to... If you were too maverick and crazy, what was the point of standing on a party label if you're going to defy them every time? Kate Kelly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was a three-line whip. Uh, I mean, I spoke to our chief whip before and said, I'm going to have to do this because... Not only has my seat remained, but it's the right thing to do because I actually think it's right. And uh, I, I was told, OK, I understand. And it wasn't just me. In the end, we got a very uh, sternly worded letter that if this happens again. But I think on that occasion, we had been a Remain party and there were so many of us. And I was in, I was the most uh, marginal. In I had the smallest majority in London, second smallest in the country. It was 274 the first time I got elected. It was a Tory seat in my childhood. Uh, Sir George Young sent me an 18th birthday card. Dear Rupert, congratulations, you can vote for me forever. Happy birthday. Didn't work. So uh, we managed to snatch <laughs> that from them in 15. Um, so sort of, again, that was a factor. But I mean, I uh, and then this time round, the only thing people talked about was Europe. It was the only thing on the leaflets. And I explicitly said about um, that I'd voted against the triggering of Article 50. And it had previously been considered a three-way marginal because there was a Lib Dem presence as well. But the, if you put the old 274 in a calculator, times it by 50, it comes out at 13,807. Even the 807 we would have killed for the first time, it's sort of four times what it was. So for me, it was uh, helpful. But I'm no longer on the front bench. I'm no longer Diana but shadow whatever Home Affairs Minister because that's sort of not tenable with um if you're on the front bench you have to be party line down the line so that's why yeah so sort of i think there were some other things on customs union stuff i rebelled after the first one i think they overlooked in that first parliament because there were so many of us yeah um and it was such a big fundamental thing rupert hook thank you very much Finally, it's the return of listeners' favourite, Ask Romaniacs. Every now and again, we get you to submit your questions on Twitter, and here's a few from earlier this week. OK, we've all been waiting for this. Rupert, you've been asked to do your impression of Boris Johnson. Do you think Do you think you can bring yourself to do it, or is it just I mean, too I painful? Think, <laughs> what I was trying to say at the time <laughs> was there's Mark 1 Boris and there's Mark 2 Boris. And, uh, and uh, I didn't realise, actually, I was... Describing current affairs and not yeah. history. <laughs> sort of thing. So what I actually said was, the Boris of old, you know, he was like, oh, excuse me, sorry about that, just shagged your wife. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's all very well for these uh, people like this to go around quoting uh, Socrates and all these other South American footballers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that bluff thing, it was meant to be that, you know, he used to be fairly harmless but he was socially liberal at the same time he was mayor of london twice but now he's turned sinister and right wing Mm. and he's playing to the gallery and blah 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 however yeah i was cruelly stopped because i was reminded it was not watershed time (laughs) and um yeah 
Thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and from Ben Kappa, have you had any Remain voting constituents get in touch to say how they now want a quick, hard Brexit due to the appalling conduct of Donald Tusk? Um, like seemingly lots of Tory MPs have had this week. Um, a quick, hard Brexit, that's making me feel slightly ill. But anyway, this was after the male sketch writer, Kent- Quentin Letts, tweeted that he'd met a vociferous Remainer, lifelong Islington-style Labour, 65-ish, not a Corbynite, who was so angry at the EU's treatment of Theresa May that he now wanted Brexit. And some people mocked Quentin. They said things like, and then we drove off in our imaginary taxi. Um, but I, for one, don't doubt that someone who makes a lot of stuff up about Brexit... Uh, well, anyway, uh, have we have you met any converts to leave this week? In, since I mean, to be honest, the main thing people talk about, as I say, coming to my surgery, are they're about to be evicted, they're about to be deported, we need to sort it out. So, I mean, if you watch a programme like uh, Pointless, very few people even know who's running the country, let alone that uh, level of detail about the what the sticking points are with checkers and the EU... Um, but no, that's that's not a common experience for me. Um, yeah, the thing that he described. I'm a social scientist. I think he needs a larger sample size. I think you're right. I haven't come across anyone this week either. But um, yeah, Art McCarrick asks, presumably the Europe bit of the left of vehicle registrations will have to be legally changed post-Brexit. Will it be replaced by anything? Now, I looked this one up uh, and it's a bit contentious. You can actually display the UK flag or another of the UK national flags like the Welsh Dragon instead of the EU one on your registration plate if you want to already. But after Brexit, that won't be compulsory. You can just have nothing at all. There was a Brexity petition on the parliamentary website about this in January and the government was for once very clear about the uh, what would happen after Brexit. There are no plans to make the display of the union flag on vehicle number plates compulsory. So whether you could stick on an EU sticker in protest, well that would certainly piss off any leavers if you did so that would be entirely up to you. Mark McCarrick. And this last one is very hypothetical. If there was a second referendum without an option to remain, what would be the outcome politically rather than legally if everyone who wants to remain spoiled their ballot? What do you reckon, Ingrid? Would you be tempted to do that if the only two options were no deal or Theresa May's deal? I'd set fire to myself. (laughs) That would be my protest. Um, But yeah, you'd have to do something. Yeah, I'd spoil my ballot just to show... Yeah, yeah I, I, I normally hate the idea of spoiling ballots, but in this case, I think option, it would be the only option. What other it? option would you have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they have to count them. They have to say when the returning officer says X number of ballots have yeah. been spoiled. So it does get. And how amazing if, if spoiled ballots were the were the winning majority? Yeah, I remember when I was in uh, the NUS, there was an option called Ron reopen nominations, and one year the Labour students didn't get their paperwork in on time so there was a campaign to make Ron win every category and it was even allowed to host and they sang da do Ron Ron and it romped home <laughs> which brings us to the end of the show and the traditional clip of a non-English EU language this is Gabby Horgrove who's from Puerto Rico dual American British citizen an unrepentant Europhile Ramona and a Democrat voter with a bit of Puerto Rican Spanish which sort of counts Los que votamos a quedarnos no nos vamos a callar mientras los políticos sigan diciendo y haciendo estupideces. Arriba, Remainiacs! That means those of us who voted Remain aren't going to shut up while politicians say and do stupid things. Keep it up, Remainiacs. Thank you. 
Send us your closing clip in a European language. Just record something on your phone and email it with a translation to info at romaniacs.com. We'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Thanks to our special guest, Rupa Hook MP. What are you up to next in the good fight against Brexit? Um, yeah, I think just sort of everything I do is indirectly or directly uh, telling people. <laughs> I've done an interview this morning with, hang on, who I was against Ian Duncan Smith. Mm. Uh, and I had to point out that we're both going to vote against the Chequers deal. You know, we had 50 Tories in open revolt in an upstairs committee room the other day. This is an unprecedented time of political disarray on all sides. Um, so, yeah, I'll be hammering that home wherever I can. And thanks to Ingrid. Any last words for today? Uh, go women. We yeah. did it. We did, we did it. it. We yeah. did it. Without the boys. Yeah. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and a shout-out to our latest Patreon backers. Hello, and thanks from me to Peter Plunkett, Sammy Hamrouche, John, just John, perhaps John Redwood, who knows, uh, Christian Wren, Harish Hirani, Eva Maria Bonin, Martin Robinson, Michael Forrest, Gavin Hogg, and Matthew Eustace. And hello from me to Benjamin Wilde, Paul Greaves, Rupert Mitchell, Jesse Smith, and Russell Lemon. Many thanks. We'll see you next week. Romaniacs was presented by Ros Taylor with Ingrid Oliver. Studio production was by me, Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production.